Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hi everyone and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Goodness me, is it 2019 already? I just can't believe it. 2018 just flew by in a flash, uh, of course, as life throws curveballs at us all. It was ups and downs and challenges and joys and everything in between. So I, I really thank you for being here with me today. And if this is your first time listening to the Mindful Dietitian podcast, then a huge welcome to you. Uh, what you'll notice is in previous podcasts, which are all listed on the Mindful Dietitian website, www.themindfuldietitian, spelt with a T-I-T. C-I-A-N rather than a C-I-A-N. What you'll notice is there are lots of uh, previous episodes with incredible guests from all over the world sharing their experiences with health at every size, intuitive eating, non-diet approach, body image, mindfulness, mindful eating, leadership. Oh my goodness. The topics are endless. There's lots of uh, different ways that we have dug into some really important conversations and I'm hoping that through this podcast we can bring them even further out into the community to continue the way in which we communicate to do great work in the world. So over the next few months, I will be thrilled to be bringing you some new things from The Mindful Dietitian. The first thing is an updated new website, and I could not possibly have done this myself. Um, My creative streak is somewhat limited, um, and although, you know, I like colours and fonts, those of you who've worked with me before or seen a presentation will know that I'm quite particular when it comes to fonts, and certainly the team from LR Creative, who are, I can't speak highly enough of them are amazing, have developed this website that looks like something I could never create myself. Anyway, I can't wait to share that with you in the coming months. Along with that, I'll be launching some brand new online courses. So some of the workshops that I've done in the past and people have um, really wanted for it to be in online form. And I really understand that it's not possible always to get yourself to a workshop in person, even though that's what we might wish. And even though uh, for me, that's my ideal learning style. But there are so many reasons why we can't do that. And so I'm hoping that, you know, developing some um, short courses, some freebies, some webinars, some longer courses can just really bring this style of learning to you in a much more accessible fashion. And what else have I got coming? Um, There's brand new online workshops and I'll be doing some traveling to the US and to the UK in 2019. So if you're keen to meet up, if you um, would like to come along to an event, then please keep in touch. It would be so wonderful to meet as many people as possible from the Mindful Dietitian community, which is growing exponentially. I think each day, I think our our Facebook group, which is the Mindful Dietitian, uh, I think it grows every day by maybe five or six people, which is, you know, it's so exciting that more people are becoming so much more interested in weight-inclusive work and and, and becoming much more interested in social justice-oriented work. Um, And uh, we're so thrilled to have you all. 
So speaking of social justice oriented work and certainly brave work, I recently spoke with my now colleague, previously student, um, the wonderful and very compassionate Tom Scully of Reconnect Nutrition. So Tom is a registered dietitian and nutritionist living and working in the gorgeous laid back city of Geelong after recently moving from Melbourne. Tom very smartly wanted to see change and look, Geelong is just the most magnificent city. Um, I never thought I'd say that. Well, 20 years ago, I may not have, but now it's close to the beach. It's got great nightlife, awesome bars and all those things that, you know, provide fun for us in our free time. So a little bit about Tom. After graduating from Deakin University and acknowledging that clinical work really wasn't for him, Tom started his own private practice where he helps clients to feel more comfortable around food and also supports people in understanding and managing their health concerns through a non-diet and health at every size lens. While Tom works with a variety of clients, his main areas of interest are men's health, LGBTIQ health and eating disorders. As a cis queer male himself, he has grand plans, which oh, I've got no doubt about Tom's grand plans. They, they will certainly come to fruition and he wants to encourage greater diversity within dietetics and disrupt heteronormativity in healthcare. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Tom is so thoughtful, so insightful and so generous with his experience. Um, it's always a pleasure to have conversations with Tom, whether it's in person or on the phone or um, as part of this podcast. So hope you love this episode and look forward to keeping in touch with you throughout 2019 and beyond. Enjoy. Hey, Tom, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It's so awesome to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know. Well, you're literally only kind of just up the road. Well, maybe 150k up the road. Um, but we have we have lost you from metropolitan Melbourne to sunny old Geelong down by the beach. So how, how's life treating you in Geelong? Yeah, it's good. Um, I don't know if I call it maybe sunny Geelong, perhaps windy Geelong. Um, <laughs> But no, it's good. It's good. Uh, I'm quite enjoying the move. It's uh, definitely kind of um, much better lifestyle than here, I think. Uh, but having said that, I mean, I was in Melbourne several times a week anyway, so um, it's not like I've kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. No, we haven't quite got rid of you yet, have we? No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want to. That's the thing is we're, we're clinging on to you for dear life, really. <laughs> don't leave us, Tom. Don't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tom, you and I um, first crossed paths through Deakin Uni, and um, tell us a little bit about, you know, um, how your how, how you first first of all, I guess, became interested in becoming a dietitian, and then moving forward from there, you know, what you've been up to since graduating. Um, how did I first become interested in becoming a dietitian? I don't know, I guess I've always kind of wanted to work with people. Um, and when I finished high school, I thought I might want to do psychology. So I started doing a year of a degree there and then quickly decided that, I don't know, perhaps that wasn't for me. Um, so I took a couple of gap years, which sort of it turned into a few more gap years after that. And, um, and then I eventually decided that uh, I needed to do something so that I didn't end up being a bartender for the rest of my life. Um, so I enrolled in a health science degree and kind of thought I'd have a bit of a stab at nutrition but keep my options open a little bit and, uh, and I did some family and society studies as well. Um, and from there, I think it might have been the first year of my undergrad, I came across Dr. Rick Kay's book, If Not Dieting, Then What? And um, I was like, oh yeah, actually, this is, this is something I could get into. And I think that kind of sort of cemented my path on, um, on heading into dietetics instead of sort of doing nutrition and 
and and heading off somewhere else. Um, that would be, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, about seven years ago now, I think. Um, so yeah, I went through the master's program at Deakin, uh, which is obviously where we met. And since then, um, I came out the other side and, and sort of undenied a little bit about what I wanted to do. Um, I think when I was at uni, I realized that clinical probably wasn't going to be for me. Um, so since then, I've, I've set up my own private practice um, where I work mostly with people with weight concern, um, men's health, uh, becoming a lot more interested in queer health and, and doing a bit of um, I guess, kind of fertility work with men as well, which has been quite interesting. Oh, interesting. That's So do you mind telling yeah. us a little bit more about that? Because that's something that I don't, we don't really hear spoken about a lot uh, in dietetic circles or actually in general community circles. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in with men's fertility health? So I haven't actually put anything out there about this being something that I offer. Um, but I started sort of receiving a few referrals from guys who were just like, oh, yeah, so, you know, this is going on and um, and coming in and sort of wanting, I guess, uh, like a quick fix to problems. Uh, so I'm doing this and we're going to have to have IVF uh, because, you know, whatever underlying reason. And, um, so I just need you to tell me how to eat basically very quickly so that I can kind of get it all <laughs> out of the way and uh, and hopefully not spend a lot of money on IVF and, and not have good results from it. Um, but I mean, it's been quite interesting work because I found that the guys that come in, um, once they start to talk a little bit, uh, there's often kind of, I guess, a lot of stress and there's a lot of, um, perhaps almost an element of shame that goes with it as well. Um, and it's not something that's spoken about as much. And so often they're kind of, they're not talking about it a lot to their friends or they're not speaking about it uh, in general. And so, you know, someone coming to see a dietitian could perhaps be sort of their one main outlet for it. Um, I mean, in terms of the, the type of work that we do together, a lot of it centers around kind of normalizing eating patterns and, and sort of general healthy eating advice, um, making sure that we're ticking the boxes for a couple of key nutrients. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's more to do with kind of just, uh, I guess, regular eating and, and kind of um, making some more nutritious choices uh, where it fits. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you mind us looping back just for a minute? You mentioned that, you know, a lot of the guys who you're speaking with in private practice, there seems to be this element of shame. So what are you kind of, what are you noticing or what are you hearing, which, which gives you the impression that that that's, could be what's going on for them? Um, people being very sort of eager to skip past certain parts of conversation. Uh, you know, so they sort of come in and they say, like, they'll, they'll sort of quickly rush through what's going on and why they've come to see me. And then they just want to be really solution focused. They don't actually want to talk about it. Um, they just kind of like, um, I guess they want to just sort of fix it and, and be done with it. And um, it's only really once we sort of like say, well, okay, you know, we'll get to that. Uh, I mean, certainly kind of we will talk about that. But why don't we just wind it back a little bit and, um, and sort of and talk a little bit more about what's going on. Um, I mean, uh, one or two of the guys that I've seen when we started talking about it, you can see it's sort of like they become flushed in the face. Uh, I mean, there's almost quite a, a real sort of like visceral reaction to the conversation that we've been having. Um, yeah, like it, it's, just, it's sort of it's literally all over their face um, and you can see. Uh, but I think talking about it and talking about it in a way that um, uh kind of openly honestly it, it really helps to sort of reduce some of that shame and um and most of the guys that i've seen for this uh when i say well this is actually something that i've been seeing a lot more of um can be really important for them in terms of shame reduction because 
think, okay, well, maybe it's not just me. Um, you know, this is, this is an issue that's affecting increasingly more and more men. Um, and I think even I was having a look at the stats and, and we, when we sort of look at um, the reasons why couples are having IVF now, a lot more of it is to do with um, things that are happening on the male side of things than it is from the female. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because for a lot of people over so many years, you know, it's been, um, uh, you know, we've heard a lot from women about, you know, the shame of infertility or, you know, difficulties around conception or hormone dysregulation or, and, and how that's uh, been connected to, you know, weight concern and diet cycling and, and maybe even um, presentations like PCOS and so forth. So it's really valuable to be hearing more from men and to open up those those spaces where men can feel like they can share um and as you said you know in sharing that's it seems to be you know an effective shame reduction um strategy so that's yeah that's amazing so when you say you know this is something i'm seeing a lot more i'm hearing a lot more what is what is the kind of typical response to that um i guess relief really um you know people kind of uh, everybody likes to sort of um recognize that you know sometimes i guess when you're going through something um it can feel very isolating and you sort of think i'm the only person that's doing this i'm the only person that's having these feelings and, and nobody really understands what it's like and, and so sometimes just to sort of hear that um you know this is certainly something that, that other people are, are going through as well um uh yeah it can be quite sort of relieving i guess for them yeah, absolutely. And there's more in common than there is similar. Uh, more in common than there is different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sort of what you're experiencing isn't, um, you know, I guess like a, a defect in terms of um, your masculinity or being a man, but this is just something that it does happen. Um, and it's happening sort of, I guess, uh, increasingly more often. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's got nothing to do with, um, I guess, a fault of you. It's just, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, you say, you just said, you know, around um, the, the, the kind of um, the cultural narrative around masculinity, you just alluded to that then. So I'm interested in how that kind of conversation comes up because you think, oh my gosh, what's a dietitian talking about masculinity? It's so much to do with how we approach, you know, feeding our body and taking care of ourselves and how we show up in the world. So I'm curious to maybe hear your thoughts on that. Um, I don't know, the, the conversation around sort of masculinity and masculinity norms is, is difficult. And I don't know if I've ever actually kind of used any of those words when talking with a client. But certainly some of the ways that I see um, some of the problems show up, I guess, in terms of um, fertility or some of the, the issues that men have is often around, I guess, coping mechanisms and some of the things that guys are doing um, to kind of deal with stress and, and instead of kind of perhaps talking about stress and emotions in their life, some of the, the ways that they're managing those in terms of, um, I guess, smoking, alcohol consumption, uh, eating or not eating, um, uh, you know, kind of a lot of those, those coping mechanisms can certainly kind of um, impact on people's health. So often, I don't know, I won't necessarily have conversations around like, talk about masculinity norms with guys, but maybe sort of just help them to unpack it a little bit more and just sit down, so, you know, what do you think is going on with that? Um, and get their their opinions and their ideas about it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, you at some point may come across someone who you can have that shared kind of language with. But what you're really saying is, you know, bringing it back down to you know what makes sense for somebody and what and what feels accessible. You know, using mm -hmm. the kind of 
um, you know, the words narrative and cultural and constructs and <laughs> all yeah. this stuff is, you know, it's wonderful for us to discuss. <laughs> but as you say, when you're sitting in front of somebody and this could be the first time they're, they're like, you're what? What? <laughs> so it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's all these are, you know, really, really interesting and, you know, of course, we, we both come from a profession where things are pretty gendered and, um, you know, the ways even um, the ways even campaigns or programs are presented can be very, very gendered, which is driven, you know, primarily by, um, you know, the, the, the narrative of what a dietitian, uh, how a dietitian presents in the world. And so I'm, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on how, how dietitians are presented and how, and how gendered we, I don't think we've become gendered. I think we've always been that way. And, um, and maybe how we can do better with that. So first of all, I guess your observations and then, you know, your thoughts on how we can shake things up a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly kind of, uh, it seems to be sort of, I guess, a bit of a running joke. Um, you see people say like, oh, when I do a, like a stock image search for dietitian, what comes up is like, you know, it's a woman holding an apple wearing a lab coat. It's like hilarious because I don't wear lab coats and, you know, um, and, you know, this isn't what the profession looks like. I'm like, but there's also, I guess, a bit of an element of truth there. Um, and then when people think dietitian, um, they often think female um, uh, and certainly kind of, uh, anybody who's ever kind of been to one of our national conferences or, you know, attend regular sort of catch-ups with dietitians would probably um, be quite aware that the profession is sort of overwhelmingly female. Um, I mean, you mentioned that it didn't necessarily start out that way. Um, and I think uh, I was having a bit of a look at sort of some stats around the, the dietetic workforce in Australia before this, just to, to see exactly where we're at. And it actually looks like it was getting a little bit worse at one stage. So I think we're kind of going from about um, about 90, 93% female, um, heading up closer to 95% female, um, <laughs> which is perhaps not the direction that we need to be heading. Um, uh, now I'm losing my train of thought here for a second. Can you run me back by the question, sorry? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Boss, no, you're like me. I'm like, okay, I went down one pathway. Now I've got to reverse my way back yeah. <laughs> to figure out where I'm going. So a lot of the way that our that our um, profession is presented is, you know, re is really gendered. And I guess it's um, you mentioned that things seem to have maybe are not improving and perhaps are even getting worse in terms of um, in terms of gender diversity, let alone broader um, broader diversity. And we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but I'm curious as to your thoughts as to, you know, how do you think, what's your vision of how we might move away from that binary, um, you know, both as professionals or maybe it's more on a structural level or, you know, how can we kind of break that up a little bit, do you think? Hmm. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen by accident. Um, you know, it's something that uh, definitely we, we need to work towards. And I think part of that, um, it starts with sort of recognition perhaps coming from sort of um, the broader dietetics community and, and perhaps from our organisational structures that perhaps we're not uh, hitting the mark in terms of diversity at the moment um, and sort of, and um, I guess putting a plan into place about how we can um, perhaps sort of work towards that, um, you know, so recognising that perhaps the, the profession would benefit from a bit more gender diversity, uh, from some more cultural diversity um, and uh, I guess 
um, yeah, making the profession seem more appealing to, to people from those groups. Though when we're doing sort of, I guess, media representations of dietitians, we're not uh, we're not <laughs> presenting what we've seen before, but um, but you know, kind of showing people that okay, well, dietitians, you know, um, uh, perhaps they're not all white and they're not all female, and then um, you know, and not all thin. <laughs> Yes, and not all thin as well. I mean, you know, size diversity is, uh, is obviously uh, quite a big problem in the profession, uh, which isn't always all that welcoming uh, to people who, who are in larger bodies. So. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder also if um, the way in which we are kind of, I was going to say invited, but I think that's probably a touch generous. Maybe corralled is maybe a better um, word to use corralled into even within diversity even within say gender or size diversity we kind of are corralled into certain roles so for example if you are a, a male dietitian whether there is a certain way to show up to be a more acceptable male dietitian if that makes sense or if you're a larger body dietitian for example if there is a way that's more acceptable to show up or more or roles in which you are more, um, seem to be more suited or whatever, which, I mean, clearly, I think that's all fucking bullshit, but it's, but it's, but it's interesting that even within, you know, even within a minuscule proportion of diversity, whether there are ways even that there are pressures that to show up in certain ways, given, given these, um, you know, the, the, the our differences. Mm. I mean, certainly kind of, um, when I think about, uh, uh, males in in the profession, a lot of them sort of seem to be drawn to, to certain areas more so. Um, so you know, uh, often a lot of the guys that are interested in studying dietetics want to do it because they're interested in the sports nutrition side of things, which I mean is fantastic. And it's kind of if that's their their avenue for getting into the profession, then um, then that's great. And uh, obviously more than happy to have them here. Um, certainly when it comes to I guess uh, sort of maybe more the social justice side of dietetics. Um, we don't seem to be doing a great job of getting more male presence there, um, uh, which is definitely something that uh, I think we could do better, but obviously you've got to have dietitians in the profession to start with before we can start sort of um, <laughs> wheeling them over. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It almost feels like we've got to kind of, we've got to start again in, you know, the way that we're speaking with our even our um, younger students or the way the ways in which we're pro, pro presenting and promoting the profession to future dietitians if people see themselves in others they're much more likely to want to be part of our profession aren't they you know if they can yeah, see, yeah if they can um, find somebody who they find aspiring then that's um it's only going to further us it's going to make our profession so much better and richer and um allow us to do great things in the world yeah absolutely i think um you know kind of more people bringing their lived experience in, um, I guess kind of helps in terms of, we, we tend to sort of look at things and frame things from our own experiences. And so if everybody in the profession has a very similar lived experience, then perhaps uh, they only kind of think about certain aspects, um, I guess, of health or, or what's important to them. So definitely kind of getting more people in more lived experience, whether or not they're sort of, I guess, helping to educate other dietitians about, uh, about other areas that could be important, but, um, but certainly, um, uh, uh, getting more people in with, with experience, they can they can talk about health in a way that um, will perhaps resonate with a, a wider group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, now, Tom, 
You mentioned to me that you looked up the um, cultural competence <laughs> um, documentation from, you know, which is housed with our national organisation. And I'm curious to know what you found there because, you know, something within social justice circles and within circles where we talk about inclusivity and we talk about diversity, this would be something that would be front and centre. Um, Tom, I'm curious to know what you found. I know what you found, so I want you to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so the, the reason I went and sort of had a look at, uh, at some of this information is because I came across a, um, an article called Queering Dietetics, which is basically uh, just a, a sort of look at um, what's happening with dietetic education practices at the moment in terms of um, where we're at in in training future dietitians around um, uh, queer and gender diverse uh, cultural competence and, and kind of uh, what universities are doing and, and what other professions are doing and, and where we could perhaps be doing better. So I was quite interested. I thought I'll go and have a look and see um, at what's happening on the DAA at the moment. And, um, and really, I was quite surprised to see when I was searching for sort of terms around, I guess, queer or um, like LGBTIQ or... Um, anything to do with kind of gender or sexuality, uh, like just actually nothing was coming up. Um, uh, what I did find in terms of cultural competence is uh, that we seem to be framing it at the moment in terms of, I guess, diversity of food choices. So, you know, different people from different countries with different cultural backgrounds um, have different food preferences. And um, so when we're thinking about working with different people, we need to consider that, you know, uh, different cultures will, will place different values on, on different foods. Um, but that seems to be as far as we've gotten in terms of, um, I guess, our, our view of cultural competence. Um, yeah. Wow. That's strikingly appalling. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I guess when we think about other areas, so if we're thinking about uh, differences in gender and sexual diversity, perhaps, you know, it doesn't necessarily come with different food preferences. But, um, but certainly kind of different people's lived no, experience. No, it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> different people's <laughs> lived experience will, um, will impact the way that uh, they engage in health behaviours and the way that they interact with health services. Um, exactly. You know, had in the past. And, and so I think it's a really important conversation that we need to be having. Yeah, so what you're saying is, you know, to be moving this conversation past food preferences and food choices, which are important, like it's... What we're not saying is that, that those things aren't worthwhile considering. They certainly are. But what you're saying is, you know, moving this conversation past that to the way in which folks from different communities um, and even diversity within those communities, because there's, lot, there's lots of, um, you know, different folks with so many different backgrounds and different lived experiences and the way in which people engage in, in, um, in health behaviours and then in, in, um, in health services and help seeking and, and support seeking and just general community oriented and social um social connectedness i guess and that's more important that feels to me like so much more important it's a big it's a big task isn't it you know to <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't think it's a necessarily a dietetic specific thing i think it's something that healthcare perhaps hasn't done well in general um, but I guess whether I see the difference between dietetics and other professions is that there seems to be a recognition that this is kind of, you know, these are conversations that uh, we need to be having and there's, uh, I guess, kind of more sort of planning and structure in place for, okay, so, um, like, how do we recognise what our identity is and, and sort of how, and how we make that up and then how other people, um, how other people's lives are different and, you know, how can we kind of meet them in the middle, um, 
and, and sort of recognize our differences and, and, uh, and be able to work together in a way that's safe for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And things like creating practice spaces and, and community spaces where, um, where we are educating ourselves, not expecting our clients or our patients or our communities to educate us, but educating ourselves around, for example, the language, the language that we use around people's, um, you know, sexual diversity or gender diversity, you know, pronouns and things like that, you know, that we're taking it upon ourselves to learn those kind of things and even things like, um, um, you know, decorating a private practice room. Like how can I do this in a way that feels really welcoming to folks um, who are coming with a variety of different experiences and how can I be at least a tiny bit trauma informed, you know, that, that, you know, that training is huge. It's a huge, huge, huge. Um, but it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge that, there is going to be a, a percentage of our clients who have experienced, whether it's cultural trauma, community trauma, um, you know, it, microaggressions on a, on a daily basis, um, you know, living in this world as a, as a marginalized person would, can be internalized as a form of trauma. So it's, um, you know, this is something that we definitely need to speak about. I'm, I'm curious, Tom, did you see any, any particular professions or, um, or or organisations or groups, who is who is doing this well? Do you think that we can kind of, that we might be able to take a bit of leadership from? Um, mental health, I think, have kind of maybe taken the lead here, um, and, and there's certainly some um, uh, some good, I guess, kind of guidelines around cultural competence um, for working with um, gender and sexually diverse uh, people coming out of mental health organisations. Um, aged care was another one that I found that has been doing this, like, wow. whether or not really well, I don't know, I haven't had a, a deep look into it, but certainly it, it's on the radar for them, um, which I think is great and really important, obviously, kind of, um, uh, as the population ages a little bit, um, and we've got more people who've perhaps been living their authentic lives, um, uh, suddenly finding themselves in situations where they need to go into care, um, yeah. and, and perhaps some of their, their freedom and independence being taken away, um, you know, that how come how can uh, they provide care that's affirming to them um, and kind of supportive of who they are and, and make them feel okay to sort of still be um, living their lives as their authentic selves. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Well. And nursing, yeah. <laughs> nursing. So, I mean, kind of, you know, a lot of the, the professions where it seems to be sort of like hands-on, um, very close quarters care um, are obviously going to be sort of addressing this a little bit more, um, uh, which is great. Um, but, yeah. A little bit of little bit of room for improvement, I think, when it comes to dietitians. Oh yeah, definitely. What, so, what what are some of the main um, kind of either attitudes or beliefs, or what 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 holds us back? Do you think? What's holding dietitians back? Hmm. Um, to be honest, I think it's the lack of diversity in the profession. Um, that's kind of maybe one of the major points. So, um, I mean, if it's not your lived experience, then perhaps it's not something that's at the front of your mind. Uh, mm. And so, um, I mean, given that the profession is kind of is, well, almost overwhelmingly probably cisgendered and um, and heterosexual and um, and female as well, um, you know, there's certain things that perhaps just wouldn't be kind of uh, on the radar for a lot of dietitians. So. Mm. And I guess coming from that place of, you know, I, I don't know anybody who 
becomes a dietitian or, or, or aspires to, to um, you know, fulfill a, a career in dietetics who doesn't actually care about people. So I think mm. there's, you know, there's that element of uh, coming from that shared desire for the well-being of others and how can that, how can we bring that more fully into our practices whilst at, at, at the same time acknowledging, um, acknowledging our own, the limitations of our own experience and how we can kind of dig, dig into that so that we can be better at what we do with the communities that we, that we serve. Because if we're only going to serve the communities with which we're familiar with because of our own experience, then we're not really, we're not really serving that many people really. Well, I mean, we're, we're knocking out almost 50% of the population to start right. with. Um, and, uh, and then it's probably even whittling it down a little bit further than that if we're kind of only speaking to the, um, to our own lived experience. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if you were, okay, let, let's create a scenario. So the master's program at Deakin hands you a unit and says, Tom, we want you to um, write a unit on competency across, across different community groups. So I'm putting you super on the spot here. What would be some of the most important teaching elements within that particular unit, do you think? Um, I mean, I think there's a couple of kind of a few different areas that need to be addressed. So firstly, there's probably kind of some knowledge gaps um, that need to be addressed and, and sort of appropriate language that we're using when we're dealing with different groups and, um, and perhaps kind of, um, you know, how we can use... Um, the right words to make people feel more welcome and, and sort of invited into our spaces. And so, you know, it's definitely um, room to kind of to put a bit of education around, well, this is, this is how other people's lives might be different to ours and this is how we can talk about it in a way that is going to make them feel welcome to open up. Um, but I think it really is something that needs to be kind of woven through courses instead of just kind of having like a, a like a set and forget. So we took the diversity box and, and you know, you do the unit in first semester and, and that's kind of it. Um, I think it's something that needs to be woven in more. So I guess it's um, thinking about it from a queer perspective because, I mean, that, that's sort of my background. Um, uh, thinking about how, you know, when we're presenting, I guess, patient scenarios or, or when we're kind of doing role playing or, or all of those things that are very important to to learning to be a dietitian, how are we kind of bringing in more of that experience um, so that people are actually getting kind of a bit of hands-on, you know, this is, uh, this is how I engage with it. Um, the other area that I think is really important is, is the self-reflection. So, I mean, it's one thing to know the difference between sexuality and gender um, and sex and, you know, kind of uh, certain aspects of religion and whatever, but, um, you know, Knowing it is one thing, how does the knowledge that you're acquiring, I guess, um, either kind of conflict with or reinforce some of the ideas that you already have, um, which obviously come from the way that we've been raised and the environment that we live in. Um, yeah, so kind of, I guess, learning about learning about things and then also doing the, the, the work, which is a little bit harder to sort of say, okay, well, how does this actually show up in my, in my interactions and the way that I think about certain people? Um, yeah, I mean, that I, I really loved your first two points. The first one being, you know, just, just that formal kind of more intellectualized conversation around language, like mm -hmm. learning about, um, about language and, and also people's preferences and how you can, um, really thoughtfully, 
um, explore that conversation in order to make sure that the that you are doing your best to provide a welcoming and open space for someone. I mean, for me, that feels like counselling skills 101, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, and and the sec your second point was, mm, hang on a second, it shouldn't really be a separate unit. I agree with you totally there. Yeah. It needs to be kind of woven in. I mean, that's, that's like health at every size and non-diet approach really too. It is at the moment at all universities a kind of a separate thing. It's like this add-on type of feels mm. like an add-on um which i my, my my vision is that it ceases to be an add-on and starts being woven into every single section so we're talking about cardiovascular disease we're talking about diabetes we're talking about um cultural competency we're talking about everything but we're talking about it through this lens of essentially you know diversity inclusivity um you know social justice um equity and all these words all these words 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 <laughs> Kind of new for us. Hmm. Um, so we were talking about. Yeah. No, sorry. that's okay. No, we were talking about, um, and you said, and I, I think where I was coming to was your third point, which I think is uh, yeah. the most important one, and that was, you know, giving opportunities for self-reflection, um, which. Um, I mean, my, my thoughts are that that would, that would need to be done very thoughtfully um, with someone who can hold space really well with a group of, of um, a group of students or a group of professionals or whoever you're kind of, you know, speaking with. So, you know, if, if you were having that conversation with a group of say students, how might you, how might you set that up um, to, to create a space where, um, where students felt willing to take a little bit of a peek around the corner um, and, you know, be willing to engage in, in, you know, in understanding more about different people's experiences, do you think? Oh, um, do you know what? I don't know. I... Yeah, I really don't know. And it's not something I've actually kind of given a lot of thought to um, before this. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's difficult because obviously you want to sort of start a conversation with people and, and you want people to sort of perhaps share ideas and, and just share some of the thoughts that they've been having. But there can be, I guess, a bit of um, uh, pressure and shame associated with some of the thoughts that might come up for people. Um, you know, nobody likes to think of themselves as perhaps um, somebody who is racist or somebody who uh, is homophobic or transphobic or whatever. But the reality is that we've all been raised in, in largely a similar environment. Um, and so often the views that people hold that might be problematic is not a reflection of who they are, it's just a reflection of where they've been and where they've come from. Um, in terms of how you can get a conversation going, uh, I think what you just said then is such a beautiful start. Yeah. I reckon that would kind of get it going, to be honest. Yeah. What a yeah. beautiful setup, you know? Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly we're, uh, we're surrounded by kind of, um, I guess, uh, a whole heap of negative opinions in the media about, um, about certain, certain different groups. So kind of, you know, throwing some out. Like if you're having trouble thinking about, you know, some of the ideas that you hold about some of these groups, um, then perhaps here's some examples and, and, you know, like how do you feel about those statements? Um, you know, is it something that kind of you disagree with or do you think there's an element of truth behind it? And, um, you know, kind of maybe 
sparking conversations that way instead of just asking people to put their hand up and, and tell you what they think. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know, I don't quite know how <laughs> I don't that, that would go very well. Yeah. No, no, I'm not sure about that. And um, what are your thoughts on, I guess I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how we can kind of as a profession start to create a bit of resistance or start to push back a bit on, you know, <clears throat> some of these more commonly held attitudes and beliefs around for example, um, so, you know, um, folks who are in larger bodies or, um, it, I mean, I guess that's really dominant in our profession, isn't it? Because of the rhetoric around um, quote unquote obesity and, and, and larger bodies that, um, you know, that, that folks who have multiple, um, uh, multiple marginalizations. So for example, folks, folks who might, they may self identify as fat and queer, for example, mm. and black for example, you know, that there are various going to be intersecting, um, intersecting areas of marginalization and oppression. Um, so it, it's not that common that we necessarily experience, uh, that our clients may experience one, there can be m multiple there too. Um, so, you know, you, we've talked a lot about education and learning and creating opportunities for our students and each other to learn. Um, of what I'm what I'm noticing is that a lot of the work and labor is actually being done already from folks who already identify as having one maybe one marginalized identity at least one mm -hmm. and I'm not sure about you but it kind of worries me um, and I guess I'm, I'd be curious as to your thoughts as to you know how the, those of us who um, may relate to one marginalized identity um, but but enjoy a lot of privilege in other areas or have privilege you know a lot of privilege across the board um, how we might be able to step up a little bit more and um, aside from you know educating ourselves on learning you know what how can we kind of really put some um, some gumption behind um, you know speaking out more and pushing back with it both within our profession and and broadly um i mean i guess it's hard because um whenever you're talking about uh perhaps an identity that you don't own or that that isn't yours um you always kind of maybe run the risk of uh falling into the trap of speaking for people instead of kind of, um, I guess, elevating their voices. Um, certainly kind of, you know, um, it's important to raise the profile and, and get certain discussions going, but I think um, some of those conversations really do need to be driven by some of the people who are kind of, who are living it and, and kind of have the experience. Um, so I guess it's about me. Kind of, I guess, finding some of the people who are doing the work um, and maybe just having a bit of a listen to what they're saying and, and even asking, you know, how can you help? Um, mm, I mean, when it comes, you know, when it comes to sort of, um, I guess, some of the, like the gender and the, the sexuality side of things and, and dietetics, um, I mean, I, I've had a bit of a look through uh, a lot of um, the way that we're trained and, and sort of the way that we talk about bodies in, in dietetics and I guess in medicine in general um, and, and realise that it's based on the whole heap of assumptions about kind of, you know, sex being most like a binary um, and then gender being based 
on a binary index and, and then a lot of the, the way that we do nutrient recommendations and the way that mm-hmm. we um, requirements and, and all this sort of stuff um, being kind of based on some of those. Um, I mean, so I guess for people who are kind of looking to um, to kind of maybe sort of be um, helpful and, and kind of support some of the, the more marginalised folks, um, pushing back against some of these ideas in dietetics around kind of, you know, um, well, you know, what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman and, um, and kind of, you know, how much of what we do actually needs to be based on sex and gender um, and, and uh, you know, what, what are we really talking about um, sometimes, you know, uh, we, are we talking about differences between men and women? Are we talking about differences in hormone levels? You know, um, of, uh, some of the recommendations that we have for nutrients based on differences in body size and men are assumed to be bigger than women. Um, I kind of, I guess, looking at our training and just kind of um, and, and seeing where it comes from and, uh, and, and pushing back a little bit in that way. I love that. I love that. I think that is absolutely brilliant because what that does is it speaks to some of the core of our a lot of our roles, you know, and as you say, if, if there are a lot of assumptions that are being made, even about things like nutrient recommendations and, um, you know, like you said, it, it is assumed that, um, that men are larger than women or have uh, their energy requirements need to be adapted because of different body composition, for example. And that's, yeah, it, it's seen as kind of the, uh, you know, a truth as opposed yeah. to actually human beings come in many different bodies and, uh, you know, it kind of bunkers us down more than expands mm. us, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. So kind of stopping and questioning a lot of those core, even some of the core concepts, you know, I mean, we kind of, we, we were talking a lot more about more, um, you know, social justice and that kind of thing. And now we're kind of just talking about just the very basics of dietetic practice mm. and how we can just start to just just question some of the things that appear as if it's rooted in just sensible thought but actually hmm, it's not really and, and does push a lot of people to the side yeah yeah and certainly when we're working with clients um who perhaps don't fall sort of within that, that nice, neat, nice, neat binary, um, you know, uh, the way that kind of we're working with them and, and some of the things that we do, some of the processes and procedures that we use in terms of like um, gendered energy requirements. I mean, is that kind of, uh, if, if we're having a conversation with somebody and, and they tell us um, what their gender identity is and, and kind of, you know, about sort of perhaps um, uh, some of the struggles that they've had with that and we say, yep, great, perfect. And then we go ahead and use the opposite gender uh, for calculating their energy requirement, I mean, what's that doing to our therapeutic relationship, really? Um, and is it is it necessary? And kind of, I guess, um, you know, what, what's the harm in perhaps sort of treating the, the individual in the room in front of you, um, and then just adjusting as required, uh, which I guess is kind of our standard practice anyway. Yeah, definitely. But I can see, um, I, ha- I haven't actually had a personal experience of this, but I have observed it on a few listservs where people get themselves all into a flurry because they're like, whoa, hang on a second, am I meant to kind of calculate um, this according to the female nutrient reference values or the male? And it's like, um, just human. Human? Yeah. You know, uh, but I have noticed people getting themselves all in a flurry. I think part of it is because um, from, you know, intentions of not wanting to kind of get it wrong. Um, mm. And the other of, of, I guess, hanging on, hanging on to, 
you know, needing to get it right and, um, you know, and sticking with a, with a status quo that, you know, if it's not one, it has to be the other and not realizing that actually they're, you know, so, okay, what does that mean if somebody identifies as gender fluid? Hello. Or you can do yeah. say this energy requirement is dating something other. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> it's not going to work. And I think, um, I mean, you know, just to sort of give a, a little bit of a, a, or maybe preaching to the converted here, but a plug for the non-diet approach. Really, I think it's a beautiful fit for when you're working with people who um, who don't fit into sort of very neat boxes. Um, because instead of sort of thinking, well, how am I kind of tailoring the requirements for this person based on what we think they should be having? Um, you know, you can kind of meet the person where they're at and sort of. And, and work it back from there um, and, and approach things in a different way. Instead of, you know, oh, you haven't hit your selenium target for the day. Um, you know, <laughs> Have I, those I'll words be... ever actually come out of your mouth? No. No? Like, <laughs> I, I went, I poured through all of the, um, the RDAs or whatever. Um, so I'm having a look at this because I, I was really interested. I was actually very surprised to see that most of it is just like this kind of, guesswork based on well you know people who are healthy are kind of eating this much food and so what we think maybe for people to be healthy is that they have to uh sort of kind, kind of, of they have to kind of have to sort of kind of be eating about this much of these foods a day but because men are bigger than women men have to eat more of it like, oh my god <laughs> you are so right yeah. you're so right it's so like dartboard <laughs> let's mm. get out the dartboard and yeah but that's about the amount of selenium and that's the amount of potassium and oh my goodness me we're probably maybe arguably a little a little better um in medical nutrition therapy you know when, when something kind of goes goes wrong or something you know or whether there, where there's a nutrition yeah where there's a therapy kind of or a quote-unquote intervention which i don't love that word but you know that's the kind of way we, we, we might work clinically i think we're probably a little bit better at that whereas yeah the kind of sort of dartboard effect that we kind of have with <laughs> you know yeah, 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 no, definitely, you know, the kind of, this is this is what you have to do for health. Um, I mean, I don't think we even have a really good handle on kind of uh, Ugh, God. What, <laughs> what good health is and, um, and no. how to get everybody there anyway. So I think it's... No, good. that's exactly right. But the thing is, Tom, if we admit that we don't even know what quote-unquote health actually is, oh, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our profession? It's actually quite a kind of scary, really. It's like we can't admit that we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, people might discover that we're actually not the experts. Oh, <gasps> we're not? Oh, my yeah. God. Tom, this is very controversial. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell anybody. I just might erase, I might erase this podcast. I'd never release it. <laughs> no, I have to release it now because... Actually, what we're talking about is is very much rooted in in truth. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people who are listening are like, "Yeah, nah, we so don't kind of know exactly what we're doing." And what's really interesting about that is I can't help but think that being able to acknowledge that we don't exactly know what we're doing, I can't help but think that actually loosens us up to to actually be able to understand so much more about mm. people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're not sort of trying to constantly centre yourself as, uh, I guess, the expert and having to be on top and having to think about like, how am I going to explain this? Um, and and you sort of step back and say, well, okay, I don't, you know, maybe we don't know a lot about that, but I'm really curious to hear kind of what you have to say and and what your experience of it is. Um, I think you definitely do a lot more learning um, there. 
and it's a lot more helpful for people in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's interesting because Tom, we started off this conversation. Um, I didn't, I didn't know that you were doing some work in men's uh, fertility. Now, um, a lot of other people do know <laughs> about that that work, and it, it, yeah, I haven't really heard of people doing that. So it's it's kind of a in some ways it's a it's a frontier where we can make you know really incredible contributions to uh, to, to more humans health and well-being you know opening up these conversations which you know maybe were rooted in shame and embarrassment and um that we're you know that that and that um you know when people are not um presenting for health care and not seeking the support that they need that actually none of us do well mm. yeah um yeah and i'm going to think of kind of uh i guess a bit of a reflection on um, sort of the, the, the demographics of the, the profession. Uh, I mean, it's interesting to me because I am obviously um, I'm a cis male, so um, it's kind of uh, I guess maybe something that I've thought about before. Or at least it kind of is, is sort of vaguely relevant or has crossed my mind. Um, and uh, yeah, I think a lot of the work that we do in dietetics is perhaps sort of a reflection of, of who we are. So I know that. Um, when you look at sort of the discussion boards, there's a lot of discussion boards around like PCOS and um, uh, like kind of women's health issues and a lot around women's hormones. And I mean, almost all of these conditions have kind of a, if not direct equivalent, but there's a kind of a, a semi-equivalent um, for males as well. Um, and the fact that we're kind of not digging in deep and not uh, and not looking into that a lot at the moment, I think maybe it's just sort of a reflection that uh, we don't, we probably don't have enough males in the profession. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, even in, in for example, hormone dysregulation kind of um, presentations, even, for example, like PCOS, we're still in so much in our infancy in um, in what we understand about this. And, of course, it's so rooted in, in diet culture crap. Um, you know, interventions are all about um, changing the body rather than... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Rather than regulating helping your hormones, yeah. yes, regulating your hormones um, yeah. via shrinking your body, usually, mm. unfortunately, and um, and so yeah, I completely agree with you that you know um, understanding more about how um, hormone maybe it is hormone dysregulation or some form of that shows up in men. I mean, certainly, I mean, my experience in working with male athletes is that I see, I do see what would be the um, what would be the female equivalent of hypothalamic amenorrhea. I see this in the men that I work with, in the male athletes, um, you know, where there's a dysregulation of, of testosterone and it's, 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 it doesn't show up in the same way, obviously, um, but there's certainly, you know, the men I work with, when I talk about it, they're like, oh, I didn't realise that was what was going on. And, I, yeah, I, I didn't realise all these symptoms were part of, um, you know, this this kind of pattern of underfueling and overexercising and, you know, um, you know, overfocusing and being overcontrolled with my eating and and so forth. So, we need more men. We we just need we need more men in our profession, oh and we need more. Yes, a lot more diversity. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of the, the hormone dysregulation in men is interesting because that happens in people, um, I guess, at, at all weights and shapes. And um, it's perhaps quite common um, in men who have 
conditions related to insulin resistance. So things like type 2 diabetes can have a lot of the same um, or quite similar um, symptoms happening. So, I mean, like loss of sex drive, um, inability to get erections, uh, you know, all of the, the effects on bone mineral composition and um, uh, your sort of mood disorders and things associated with that. And a lot of it's got to do with low testosterone, um, but it's not something that kind of gets talked about much. Um, and certainly kind of, I guess, my experience of working with clients is something that they haven't been told that, oh, you know, it, it is completely normal um, if you're facing one of these conditions that these other things might happen as well. And it's not, uh, it's not, you know, it's just a, it's a normal response to, I guess, being unwell in a certain way. Um, and it's not something that's uniquely wrong with your body. No, and it's not your fault. Yeah, not your fault. Yeah. It's not your fault. Yeah, I think that's... um. I was actually doing the non-diet approach training a couple of weeks ago, just in Melbourne. And one of the, um, one of the women there has, is a very, very experienced um, diabetes specialist. And she was saying that the first three things she says to all her clients, um, whatever age, whatever gender, whatever type of presentation they have given that diabetes presents itself in so many different ways um, in terms of symptomology and, um, you know, history and evolution of it and how it all turns up and she said the first three things I say to them is it's not your fault it's not your fault it's not your fault and I was like oh wow and I she was making a point in saying I don't I can't just say it once I actually have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it because the 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 shame that um that people feel in having a diagnosis that essentially well could be one of aging more than anything else um Mm you know, is, um, is that they feel this immense, immense shame, even the, you know, all the symptoms that come along with it, you know, with the, this kind of presentation or with the dysreg- hormone dysregulation that they feel so ashamed and so at fault. Yeah, which of course, I mean, if we're talking about kind of diabetes and, and blood glucose regulation, it's certainly not going to do anything for their, their blood sugar levels, which is more shame, more spiral, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Um, Tom, thank you so much. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. You know, we haven't really dug down into much into diversity in this particular way before. So really appreciate your thoughts because you do have really valuable thoughts and you make such um, generous contributions across our community and across different platforms on social media. And um, with that in mind, um, where can people find you on social media and website um, too? <laughs> and website. Yeah, okay. So um, my business name is Reconnect Nutrition. Um, so website there, you know, just standard www.reconnectnutrition.com.au. Um, all on words, that's exactly as you would expect it to be. Um, I have a few social media accounts, but I mean, I kind of, I'm a bit hit and miss with them. Um, if, Professionals looking to connect with me, perhaps sort of through the Mindful Dietitian group, is would be where I'm most active. Um, you know, I post there a little bit. Um, I have started a Facebook group recently for men and um, yeah, so for for men and trans masculine folks um, who are looking for perhaps a bit of support around body image and eating concerns and in a in a weight inclusive way. Um, so that is, are you man enough to be yourself? Um, Facebook group and there's also a Facebook page there as well. Um, but certainly if, uh, I mean, for, for any of the other queer dietitians out there who uh, have maybe listening to this and, um, and are interested in collaborating on a bit of advocacy um, 
within the profession to kind of get a bit more diversity happening and, and perhaps sort of hammer in a bit of a different definition of cultural competence. Uh, I'm very much interested in, uh, in sort of um, getting together and, and working on something like that. So definitely reach out. Uh, my email contact details are on my website. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant, Tom. And I would really, really encourage yeah, anybody who, who's listening, um, who's self-identified as, as, as queer and as a dietitian, then um, get together with, you know, it's just there. And then those of us who um, who don't identify as queer can help to elevate your voices and help you you know, really strengthen the message because that's like just looping back to what you said before. It's like, no, no, don't speak. Don't speak for us. Mm. Let us kind of get things sorted a little bit. And then, and then if you can help us spread the message and help us, you know, um, uh, help our voices become stronger, you know, coming underneath, then that's, um, that's really important. So I, I, I meant to ask you about the um, Facebook group, Tom, because, that is really incredible. Can you just just briefly, if it's okay, tell us a, bit, a little bit about the evolution of how that, because it's, uh, is it, it's not so much a new group, but you've... It, so there's been a, a Facebook page up for a while, which I actually right. didn't start, but I came on board and, um, and sort of helped to contribute to it. It started by um, Kerry, a, uh, a fabulous um, dietitian or, or dietetic student, or I'm not sure where she's at at the moment, but um, uh, over in Perth and... Um, yeah, so I mean, the content that we put up there is sort of basically anything to do with masculinity and health. So it could be mental health, physical health, um, body image. Um, I mean, we've even sort of shared some stuff around, I guess, uh, like gendered ideas around eating and manly food. Um, uh, but of course, what I found with social media is it's actually really hard to get men to engage with mm-hmm. messages. So I mean, there's been some good engagement with the page, and it's, it's pretty much all predominantly come from. From women who sort of like, yeah, this is great, and I'm going to share it and uh, whatever. So um, I had the idea of, uh, or actually, it wasn't my idea, but another dietitian's idea about the still Facebook group and um, and seeing as the branding's already there, we kind of linked it in, and, and uh, there's been a couple of guys that have joined so far, and uh, hopefully, when it's not out in public on Facebook, um, we can perhaps start to get some better conversations going. Um, yeah, that's actually yeah. really great. So again, that's. Um, are you man enough to be yourself? Facebook group. Yeah. You're one of the yeah. moderators of that group, along with Kerry Beak yeah. from Perth, yeah. um, and that's for uh, men and and transmasculine folks. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the idea being sort of it's, um, I guess, anybody who is sort of um, either identifies with masculinity or perhaps is sort of um, being influenced, affected by um, mm-hmm. masculinity norms, um, yeah, to great. join and uh, and yeah, sort of have some conversations there. Yeah, that's absolutely that. That is really, really an incredible space because um, you know every, everybody, um, everybody deserves to to find community and to find spaces where you know um, weight inclusive spaces where we're not talking about changing our bodies, but about being in our bodies and that and understanding that those conversations are infinitely harder in some spaces than others. Um, you know, being being in our bodies when we're part of a dominant narrative is. Um, arguably easier in our culture than it is um, when you don't identify with a with a kind of a dominant um, a dominant cultural group. So, um, thank you so much for contributing to that. Is your voice is so important and so powerful? And um, yeah, you uh, you're a very humble person, and I know how. I know how passionate you are about you know furthering this weight inclusive message and. Um, 
and I can't wait to see kind of how your career unfolds because you're, you're certainly a, an incredible person, Tom, and I've got so much admiration for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> well, next time I'm in Geelong, we're catching up for a wine. Yep, definitely. definitely. We do have a lot of that down here, actually. Yeah. You do? Yes, lots of great breweries. Yeah, wineries all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's awesome. No wonder you moved to Geelong. Ah, uh, yeah. now I'm seeing it. Yes, got it, got it, got it. Cool. Okay, Tom, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.